Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the show. As usual, we're going to talk about our Constitution, and we're going to talk about how we have a President of the United States who is ignoring the Constitution and ignoring the safety of the American people. Uh, we have a number of things that are developing out there that are both really ill for this country and for the safety of Americans, and uh, also for our financial future. So let's begin today talking about the Middle East, because something has just occurred there that is getting very, very scary. And uh, it looks like, by the way, the Democrats are going to cave in the Senate, and they're not going to push for sanctions uh, on Iran, because Obama tells them not to. And apparently the Democrats in the Senate have no regard for the safety of this country and the fact that Iran is building a nuclear weapon. They are very close to getting a nuclear weapon. They are being allowed to uh, to enrich uranium in preparation for building that weapon. But the president has not tried to stop them anymore. We are in supposedly negotiations with Iran, and the negotiations keep getting kicked down the road, extension after extension. In the meantime, the president is allowing Iran to get some of the money that has been frozen to help them develop the, the nuclear weapon. Uh, they are developing a long-range missile that will go for 1,200 miles, which means that once they have it, they can uh, launch from western Iran and hit Israel with a nuclear weapon. The Iranians today have come out and said that the United States and Israel have crossed a red line, their red line. And apparently they will see how their red line goes compared to the ones Obama kept drawing in the sand, and every time they got crossed, he just seemed to forget about it. But what's happened is apparently a, an Israeli airstrike in Syria killed an Iranian general and several terrorist leaders he was meeting with. And the Iranians are saying that they are going to go after Israel. Well, they're doing it. Uh, in the last 24 hours, Hezbollah has launched several attacks on Israeli soldiers, and the, uh, some soldiers have been killed. They're using, by the way, some sophisticated missiles uh, that they haven't had before. These have to have come from Iran. Of course, Hezbollah is Iran's proxy. In addition, the Iranians are, are flexing their muscle throughout the Middle East. Uh, Yemen no longer has a government that's friendly to the United States. Yemen is in control of rebels a rebel group that, by the way, has total loyalty to Iran. So for all intents and purposes, Iran now controls another country uh, where there are many active terrorist groups. Al-Qaeda um, in Yemen is very, very strong. They're the ones that have claimed responsibility for the launch of the attacks in Paris recently. So we have the Israelis starting to respond to what's happening with Iran, and we have the President of the United States basically remaining silent about it. Uh, he's going to let Hezbollah run rampant. We don't know if we're going to help the, Iran, the Israelis. We don't know how broad this new fighting is going to get. Are we looking at a new Middle Eastern war? And if so, where are we going to be? Where are we going to be standing? I mean, let's face it, the president's lack of foreign policy or destructive foreign policy, and, and there's both there, uh, is responsible for much of the chaos that's going on right now in the Middle East and around the rest of the world. I mean, we got ISIS running rampant. Now, there have been supposedly some victories with, by the Kurds uh, in defeating some of the ISIS rebels, 
are terrorists. They're not rebels. They're terrorists. And uh, defeating some of them in one location in Iraq. But ISIS continues to advance in Syria, continues to hold other parts of, of Iraq, including the northern Iraqi city of Mosul, where just recently they executed 16 teenagers for the crime of watching a soccer game. That's how brutal these people are. They're killing children. They're beheading children because they're Christians. They're slaughtering people everywhere they go. They're burning down churches. Obama basically is silent on that. He's not talking about the massacre of Christians. He's talking about, oh, we're going to take out ISIS. Of course, a year ago he was saying that they were the junior varsity team to al-Qaeda, but then he was also saying that al-Qaeda had virtually been wiped out, and that he was personally responsible for that. And then we see this, this man get up in front of the country in the State of the Union address and tell us the crisis is over, that there are no more crises we have to deal with, that he's fixed everything. He's fixed the economy. He's fixed unemployment. Uh, he's fixed our energy crisis. And by the way, on the side on the energy, I cannot believe this man is taking credit for the resurgence of American oil exploration when he and his administration have done everything they can to stop companies from getting shale oil out. And now, you know, he takes credit for the fact that we are doing that. And they, but now he's turning around and he's going to veto the Keystone Pipeline if and when it passes Congress. So, but he says the crisis is over. He never mentioned al-Qaeda in his State of the Union address. Not one word about the resurgence of al-Qaeda. Very little about ISIS, other than the fact that we're supposedly winning against them. Well, when you're only flying about a dozen or maybe two dozen of the most sorties by American aircraft, a coalition aircraft, against ISIS per day, when the number is going to take to do even do severe damage to them is about 240 a day, then we're not really making a real effort. And ISIS, we know, is coming across our southern border because the border is wide open. We know that they are setting up cells in this country. We know that it's just a matter of time before Americans get attacked once again. And Obama won't even use the word jihad. doesn't refer to Islamic jihad or Islamic terrorism. And when asked about why, Valerie Jarrett was asked, and of course Valerie Jarrett, if there's anybody out there who doesn't know who she is, she is apparently Obama's chief advisor in the White House, and she is, in, in fact, a spokesperson for him, and he listens to her. Uh, we've even been told that on the night of Benghazi attacks, the day and night of Benghazi attacks on America's consulate and our ambassador, that she was calling the shots, that Obama was nowhere to be found, and uh, or if he was, he had, was going to bed and didn't want to be disturbed with something like an attack on an American consulate and U.S. ambassador. So he gave Valerie Jarrett full authority to call the shots. And what she told people in the area was to stand down, to not go to try to rescue Americans who were under attack by terrorists. So that's who Valerie Jarrett is. And they asked Valerie Jarrett, Valerie Jarrett the other day about why the president doesn't use the term Islamic terrorist. And he, she basically parroted what he would have said, and that is that that's politically incorrect because not all 
extremists, if you use the word extremists, not all extremists are Islamic. And if you refer back to the, the nutcase that attacked the, the Sikh Center a couple of years ago, so apparently they are lumping together everybody in this country who's on the Department of Homeland Security list of potential domestic terrorism. And they're lumping them together with the ISIS terrorists, with the radical jihadists, and they're saying, okay, we're not going to call a spade a spade. And you, you know, if you don't identify your enemy, and somebody said this on Fox News yesterday, if you don't identify your enemy, how are you going to defeat the enemy? And Obama did this in a speech in India. He basically said, you know, uh, there are no Islamic terrorists, that this is a small group of people that had perverted the Muslim Muslim religion. John Kerry came out the next day and said essentially the same thing. So this is either a total delusional world that these people are living in, or they are deliberately aiding and abetting our enemies. Now, the definition of treason contained within our Constitution is exactly that, aiding and abetting the enemies of the United States. When Obama releases terrorists from Gitmo and sends them back to their country of origin or sends them to some other country where they can operate from, he is aiding and abetting the enemy. When he released the terrorists from the prison in Colorado, the federal prison in Colorado, just a couple of days ago, sent him back to Qatar, where he's from, that is aiding and abetting the enemy. When Obama refuses to allow our military to engage effectively against the enemy, that is essentially aiding and abetting. And that's what happening is happening to a great extent with our sorties. See, Obama, here's a man who has never been in the military, who hates the military, who despises veterans, and who doesn't know anything about tactics or strategy. He is calling the shots as to what our planes can attack in Iraq and Syria when they go after ISIS. From what I understand, we are attacking empty buildings at night, so nobody gets hurt. We're attacking pickup trucks that are parked with nobody in them. And these are supposedly going to be effective. Let's, let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, Obama does not want to hurt any terrorist. He really doesn't. Not if he thinks that they can somehow be beneficial to him. So what are we doing? We're dealing with a president who, in fact, is committing acts of treason. Now, you know, I have two sons that were in the, in the army, and I knew a lot about what was going on with in the Middle East, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And one of the things that particularly concerned my oldest son was the rules of engagement that were laid on our, on our military. Rules of engagement that we know for a fact got American soldiers and Marines killed. These rules of engagement told basically our military, particularly in Afghanistan, that they could not open fire on people who were shooting at them unless they could prove or they could identify that everybody in the crowd had a firearm. Now, how did that play out? We had a squad of eight Marines. 
who were trapped. There were 200 Taliban up in the hills around them, around their position. They were being fired at from these hills. They called in for an airstrike or for artillery support, and they were told they could not have it unless they could prove to whoever was on the other end of the line, and we understand that approval often had to come from somebody in the White House who was not on site, did not know anything, who was not even a member of the military. But unless these Marines were able to prove that all 200 people surrounding them, in fact, were firing at them and had weapons, that they could not get artillery support or air support. So they didn't, and eight United States Marines died. That, ladies and gentlemen, is aiding and abetting the enemy. We pulled out of Iraq. We left a vacuum that's not being filled by terrorists. We're pulling out of Afghanistan, and we're going to leave a vacuum that's going to be filled by the Taliban terrorists. The Middle East is crumbling. We have no plan to fight ISIS. A clear, not clear plan. And we'll talk more about that after our first break. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And by the way, folks, those rules of engagement I was talking about are in effect right now in Afghanistan for the troops that are still there. And they're probably in effect for the people that we put on the ground. You know. And by the way, they are supposedly going to be training the Iraqis, providing assistance to them, and training the so-called moderate Syrian rebels in Syria. Of course, we don't know who the moderates are. We have no idea how moderate they are. We have no idea 
nation of moderate is, as far as well, Obama's concerned. But the rules of engagement are going to be such that Americans are going to be under attack in some of these countries simply because they're there and because they're Americans. And they're going to be allowed to fight back? We don't know. Right now, the morale of the American military is probably the lowest it's it's ever been. So it's a civil war. Why? Because we have a commander-in-chief who is politically correct to the point of being absurd. Political correctness in this country among the left, and Obama's the number one guy in leading political correctness, has gotten to the point where, for example, Bergdahl, the Army private, who we now know, or knew from the beginning, was a deserter from his unit. Members of his unit went out looking for for him, not knowing at the time that he deserted. They were looking for him to, to try to rescue him. Members of his unit were killed in an ambush, which may well have been set up by Bergdahl himself, uh, working with the Taliban. This man was so-called prisoner for five years of the Taliban. In reality, he had converted to Islam and was not their prisoner, was one of their compatriots. And then Obama used him as an excuse to set free five top Taliban leaders, let them get free out of Gitmo. He sends these Taliban leaders to the Middle East, and they are already back in, involved leading the Taliban in, in combat, I'm sure, because probably 75 to 80 percent of the people that have been released from Gitmo have gone back to joining the terrorist groups that they were belonged to when they were arrested. And this includes al-Qaeda, this includes the Taliban, or now they're getting involved in ISIS. In fact, the commander of ISIS is a former prisoner from Gitmo that was released on the orders of Obama. But in the case of Bergdahl, and, you know, in the last couple of days there was this big announcement all over the media that Bergdahl was going to be tried as a deserter. Then all of a sudden... The military comes out, the Pentagon comes out and says, oh, no, that's not true. We haven't made a decision yet. We don't know what we're going to do. Well, what's really happening here is the White House is pressuring the Pentagon, pressuring our military not to try this man as a deserter, even though there is clear, beyond a reasonable doubt, proof that he did desert his post, he deserted his fellow soldiers, he may have turned traitor, and gotten some of them killed in an ambush. And the man needs to be tried. And if the White House is successful in letting this guy go free and get his back pay, which you I think he's already gotten his back pay, then that again is providing aid and comfort to our enemies. That again fits the definition of treason. The American soldiers and airmen and sailors and Marines out there deserve better. They're putting their lives on the line every day for our country, and they're going to have to continue to do so because the war on terror is not over. The war on terror is going to get worse than ever at this point. But they're being told that, you know, by Obama, we don't really care about you. You just do what you're told. Who we care about 
are the poor prisoners in Gitmo and poor guys like Bergdahl. I mean, you know, they're saying, well, all he did was desert. What's the big deal there? All he did was desert his post. Desertion is punishable by death. This man is not even going to have to go to prison. I mean, we have a guy on death row, supposedly, Major Adal Hassan, who slaughtered American soldiers at Fort Hood, killed 13 of them, wounded 32 others, and they have been told by the President of the United States and by our government that that was not an act of terror. That was an act of workplace violence. Now, the man is standing there waving around his pistol, shooting American soldiers, yelling, Allah Akbar. Arabic, for God is great. We know for a fact, and it was shown at the trial, that he had been in contact with terrorists around the world, and they helped him plan what he did, apparently, or at least encouraged him encouraged him to do what he did. And yet Obama will not refer to it as terrorism. So again, we've got the political correctness. It's politically correct not to prosecute a deserter from the military. It's politically correct not to call a terrorist a terrorist if they're Muslim. And where are we going with this? Well, several things have have happened in, in Texas recently. And, you know, this is Texas, folks. It's where I live. It's my home. Texas is a very conservative state, a red state. But we have the political correct crowd here in Texas. Garland, Texas, is right outside of Dallas. Their school district several weeks ago allowed radical Muslims, people who have been identified by the federal government, as providing support for terrorist groups or helping raise them money or unindicted co-conspirators in an effort to raise money for terrorists. These people were speaking at a conference. The facility was provided by the Garden Garland School District so they could have this conference. The conference was not open to anybody but Muslims, apparently. Reporters were only allowed in if they were friendly towards the conference and friendly towards the Muslims. Uh, for example, the, the guy named Waters from uh, Fox News was barred from the conference. There was a demonstration outside uh, because what they, what they were doing at this conference was, was claiming that they were pushing for uh, less discrimination against Muslims to understand that Muslims were, were, were being targeted simply because they were Muslims, that they had nothing to do with, with Islamic terrorism, and that they had to be better respected, and they were also pushing for Sharia law to be imposed in this country. They had this conference, they had the demonstration. According to local, some local news media, the leftists there, uh, there was a small demonstration, about 200 people. The pictures I've seen belie that, and the people I've talked to who were at that demonstration say that there were at least several thousand people there. Now, these were Americans who were demonstrating against Sharia law. But now we have, in the last 48 hours, had a, had a Sharia tribunal established in the Dallas area. 
Now, this tribunal supposedly is voluntary, but they are going to resolve disputes. And they say, you know, for the time being, just civil disputes, but then they want to do criminal, too. They basically want people, if you're doing business with a Muslim and you're a non-Muslim, you have to sign a contract that says that if there's a dispute over the terms of the contract, if you're not paid the money you're owed, if the services aren't provided, that you will not go to a United States court or a Texas state court to resolve the dispute. You will submit it to the Sharia tribunal. And the outcome of that will be a matter of, of law. Now, here's the way Sharia law works. If you're an infidel, and by the way, I just bought a T-shirt that says Armed Infidel, uh, which I'm going to wear around and, and hopefully irritate some of these people even more. But if you're an infidel, which means you're a non-Muslim, and you are in dispute with a Muslim, under Sharia law, it is automatically assumed that you are wrong, regardless of the facts, regardless of what actually happened, it is assumed that you are wrong and the decision will go against you simply because you are not a Muslim and the other side of the contract is a Muslim. Now, what about criminal law? How long is it going to be before they are claiming that they are the only, only tribunal that can try Muslims for criminal violations? What happens under Sharia law? Well, say a Muslim man kills his wife or kills his daughter and that has happened right here in Texas the so called honor killings there have been teenage girls killed in Texas by Muslim men because they supposedly had dishonored the family by either dating a, a non-Muslim or in some cases just wearing non-Muslim clothing wearing western style clothing and they get killed and this is justified under Sharia law Women under Sharia law have no rights whatsoever. They are considered property, and in order to get a divorce, they have to, they cannot just divorce their husband. Their husband can divorce them for any reason whatsoever. But in order to get a divorce under Sharia law, they have to go in front of an iman, and the iman will decide whether or not they are entitled to a divorce and file on their behalf. So basically, there is no divorce. And this is something else these tribunals are going to handle. They're going to claim that they are the sole authority for granting divorces to Muslim women in the state of Texas. But as far as the criminal law goes, if they get to the point where they're allowed to try a man in a Sharia law court for something like murder or something like beating his wife or raping his wife, because that's something else that they're entitled to do under Sharia law. If these core, this tribunal is allowed to do that, murderers and rapists will walk free. The state of Texas needs to do what states like Oklahoma have done, and that is amend the Constitution if necessary, or at least get through the legislature legislation saying that no laws will be recognized in the state of Texas except for the laws of the state of Texas and the laws of the federal government. That Sharia law will not be applied in Texas under any circumstances, whether it's in an American court or a so-called tribunal 
Sharia law tribunal that U.S. law and Texas law is a predominant law. That has to be done immediately. The problem we got is the federal government is resisting that. Let's take our second break. Who is or what is USJF? It is a nonprofit legal organization founded to protect our rights through the U.S. Constitution. Active in educating the public, USJF has also contributed directly and indirectly to legal defense efforts in many celebrated cases involving fundamental conservative principles. Cases of note include the Mount Soledad Cross case, the Arizona Immigration Law case, the Obama eligibility cases, the NDAA illegal detention issue, and many more. Help this nonprofit as they help you. Visit www.usjf.net today. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. When I talked about the federal government resisting uh, the effort by some states to keep Sharia law from being used in our courts, the citizens of the state of Oklahoma, and this was three or four years ago, adopted by 70% favorable vote an amendment to their constitution, their state constitution, saying that Sharia law could not be applied in Oklahoma courts. Simple as that. So it can't be applied. It can't even be considered. They were sued by a radical Muslim. And when I say radical, this guy has known connection to uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, for example, which, by the way... That's Obama's favorite group in the world, the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, he pushed for the Muslim Brotherhood to uh, be involved in, in Egypt. He supported the Muslim Brotherhood when they were in control of the country, despite their brutality against Christians and against Jews, despite the fact that they have said publicly that their goal is to turn the entire world into one large compound under the control of Muslims and under Sharia law. What they have said is that if they control an area, and this is what ISIS is doing, and they, I believe, are an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood too, but the Muslim Brotherhood is basically saying that if you are under control 
live in a country that is controlled under Sharia law, you have three choices. Either you convert to being a Muslim, or you pay a hefty tax in order to not be a Muslim, or you die. It's as simple as that. That's Sharia law. That's what the so-called religion of peace, Islam, has as its guiding controlling factor. So, a member of the Muslim Brotherhood sues the state of Oklahoma saying that his constitutional rights are being violated by not being able to ignore our Constitution, ignore the Constitution of the state of Oklahoma, and operate under Sharia law and be judged under Sharia law, that that's a violation of his U.S. constitutional rights. You see where I'm going with this? How hypocritical can you be? But guess what? A federal judge agrees with him. And guess who else agrees with him? The United States Department of Justice. Eric Holder is supporting this guy in that lawsuit. They're telling the people of the state of Oklahoma that you cannot vote to amend your own constitution to protect that constitution, to protect the laws and courts of your state, to protect the people of your state, because if you do so, that violates the constitutional rights of somebody who wants to destroy our constitution. Now, we're not talking about the constitutional right to free speech here. Because there are people out there who use free speech and advocate the destruction of our Constitution. They have a right to do that. They have a right to advocate a new system. But they don't have a right to say that the law is going to be on their side and that they will have their own laws that will judge them and not the laws that we live under. We are supposed to be a nation of laws, not of men. But that's not the way Obama looks at it. That's not the way Eric Holder looks at it. So we have an Islamic tribunal in Texas. We've got the Garland School District allowing radical Muslims to meet in their facilities. We have UCLA doing the Muslim call for prayer every Friday from the tower on UCLA's campus. We have political correctness running amok. And it's being facilitated by our national news media. It's being facilitated by the educators in this country, both in the, the college and high school and even elementary school level. I mean, you know, Common Core, and we're going to do a show in the near future on Common Core entirely. I'm looking for a guest right now that can come talk about it in more detail than I can. But Common Core in Texas, it was called C-Scope, and it was the legislature basically outlawed it after we found out what was involved. But Common Core is a new standard of teaching and educating our children. Now, part of the Common Core is it's a very touchy-feely type thing. In other words, children are not supposed to work hard to attain good grades and be rewarded for obtaining good grades. Everybody right now is going to be under Common Core. They're going to be looked at as people who are exceptional regardless of what they do in school. And they're going to be graded on their grit, 
you know, you take a take a math test and you fail, doesn't matter if you tried hard. If you examine exhibit exhibit a grit, so called in, in the classroom, you can get an A. When the standardized testing that so many states have comes around and you fail, how are they gonna deal with that? We have a whole generation of school children right now being turned into functional illiterates by Common Core. The Common Core is even worse than that. Common Core is also very politically correct. Common Core, for example, and I've seen this in Texas. For example, there, there was a C-scope uh, plans. There was a uh, whole list of things to talk about in American history, talking points. And this is in Common Core around the country. The talking points are basically like on World War II, don't talk about the battles. Don't talk about the causes of the war. Don't talk about the bravery of our generals and our men and women in uniform. Don't talk about any of that. Talk about the internment camps for the Japanese and how evil they were. And talk about how uh, there was race discrimination still going on in this country. That's World War II. That's what they talk about. In Denton, Texas, the school board up there put out a study guide for students who were about to take the uh, civics test and uh, the standardized test, as I recall, and they put out this study guide that basically told these students to look at the Constitution and discuss the Bill of Rights. And the talking points on the Bill of Rights, for example, on the Second Amendment, said that the Second Amendment only applied to state-recognized militia or to the National Guard, that the right to keep and bear firearms in this country was not an individual right. That's not what the Second Amendment says, and the Supreme Court has twice now ruled that it is, in fact, an individual right. Yet our students are being taught under Common Core that that's not the case. They're being lied to. In one part of Texas, girls that came to school in order to become more politically sensitive to Islam, they were told they had to wear burqas to school and find out what it was like for women in, in the Muslim world. But none of these study guides or anything, when they talk about the Muslim religion, none of them even talk about how women are second-class citizens, or in some cases not really citizens at all. I mean, yesterday we had Obama and Michelle in Saudi Arabia. And women in Saudi Arabia are not allowed to drive. They're not allowed to be educated. They have to keep their, their heads and faces and bodies completely covered at all times. They cannot even go outside of their homes unless they are accompanied by a man. They can be killed for any reason whatsoever. They can be divorced by their husbands for any reason whatsoever. But they can't divorce their husband. <laughs> All of this is part of radical Islam. Or not just part of radical Islam. It's part of Islam, period. In the subject. That's the way women are treated. I mean, we've had schoolgirls killed in Afghanistan by the Taliban simply because they were going to school. The same thing is done in Pakistan. In Pakistan, 
honor killings happen all the time. And the government, while giving lip service to it being a bad thing, really doesn't do anything about it. We are with the political correctness, with that type of stupidity. We are undermining our own country. And Common Core, you know, when you look at Common Core and you look at the details of it, they distort American history. They're stealing our legacy. They don't want our students to know about the Constitution, to know about the Bill of Rights, to know about the Declaration of Independence. The C-Scope business here in Texas, at one point, children were being taught that the patriots at the Boston Tea Party, which helped spark our revolution, that they were, in fact, terrorists, no better than al-Qaeda. They didn't kill anybody at the Boston Tea Party. They protested. They protested in a peaceful manner. Yet our children are not supposed to be to know that. They're supposed to consider them the same as they consider Al-Qaeda, although Al-Qaeda, remember, we, we defeated Al-Qaeda. I keep, I, you know, I apologize for that. I mean, the president's told us we defeated Al-Qaeda, and I keep referring to Al-Qaeda like it, it's still a threat. And I mean, the president said it was not a threat. You know, it doesn't even mention it. Obviously, we have to believe him. Otherwise, no one telling what will happen to us under penalty of law. And speaking of what will happen to us, all the revelations that are coming out now about violations of our Fourth Amendment protections against illegal searches and seizures, this is getting totally out of hand. We have the feds tracking our cars. They are using state and local police are doing involved in this, too. You have all these cameras set up. And, you know, when they started putting the cameras uh, up at the intersections and the sort of thing, uh, you know, it sounded like a good idea that, you know, they're going to be able to look at people that find people who are running red lights and possibly causing accidents. They're going to find people who are speeding. But I worried about it at the time, and I mentioned at the time, that these could eventually be used to violate our rights to privacy. Well, guess what, folks? They've got all these cameras out there now, all over the country. They're reading your license plate. Your license plate is then matched against, you know, the, the car, who you are, who owns the car, and then that goes into a federal database. And that federal database can be, then be used to track your car, to access your GPS, if you have one, to track your car, to track your movements. And they also are putting the pictures in there to show when you were at what intersection at what time. We'll talk more about that after this last break. The United States Justice Foundation since 1979 has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. 
Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. You know, I don't know if that's as scary to you as it is to me, but the idea is that the federal government or local police authorities can be tracking my every movement and know when I go someplace and where I go. Next thing you they're going to start asking us why we're going to certain places. Or they're going to assume we're going to certain places for some nefarious reason. But the whole idea that they can follow us like that is very, very scary to me. And we don't know what these databases are going to be used for ultimately. But I would suggest to you that based on everything else that's happening, we're talking about the NSA spying, and we're talking about the drones, there are something like 30,000 flight plans now that have been filed for drones in this country operated by various government agencies. Those drones can also zero in on a license plate, track the movement of a vehicle, zero in on, on a driver, get pictures of the driver, and they can follow us with the, with the drones. They also now are deploying, and this has just come out, radar that can penetrate your home. In other words, the feds or some local police agency or anybody who's got one of these devices can sit out on the street in front of your home and they can look at the radar and tell whether or not you're home. They can actually, I don't know how, you know, how powerful they are, can they actually see what you're doing? The radar certainly will show movement in the house. So your privacy is totally out the window. The privacy of the American people is being destroyed on a daily basis. We are just a heartbeat away from having the authorities in this country, and when I say authorities, I mean, you know, you've got the federal uh, authorities doing it, which is some you got some states like California in New York, where they're literally knocking down doors to grab people's guns. So you're going to have the authorities totally controlling everything we do, controlling what we have, controlling what we do. This is very scary to me. I mean, I think I talked last week about the veteran in New York who, because of the new law passed up there, the draconian gun control law, uh, that basically tell, takes everybody who's ever been to a doctor 
particularly a psychiatrist or psychologist, or even told their family doctor that they were depressed about something, whether they were treated or not, everybody gets put on the list in New York City of people who cannot own firearms. This particular veteran, he was a Navy veteran, had never been treated for PTSD, had never been treated for depression, had never told anybody he was depressed, but he had developed insomnia. So he goes to a doctor to be treated for insomnia. The next thing he knows, they raid his home and they take away his firearms. Just a few days after that, I understand it, a man got in an argument with his son at their home. And, you know, it was not a violent argument. There were no threats being made. It was a, a father-son dispute. And apparently somebody called the police. The police showed up. By the time they showed up, the dispute had been resolved. Everything was fine. But the police came back a couple hours later and confiscated over $100,000 in firearms and ammunition. This man was a collector. And they just took it away. He's having to file suit to get his, his firearms back. So how long is it going to be before the federal government tries to disarm the entire population? Not long, ladies and gentlemen. Obama is, is floating, and I, I had a recent article on my blog at www.michaelconnelly.com. And you can go let and read the article about that you're coming for our guns, where I talk about how Obama administration is floating the idea that is entirely contrary to the Constitution of the United States, that Obama does not have to submit the United Nations Treaty, the Small Arms Treaty, to the Senate for ratification, that he can go ahead and enforce that treaty, and in order to stop him, the Senate would have to, by two-thirds majority, vote to stop him. That's not what the Constitution says. The Constitution says that any treaty, before it can go into effect, any treaty signed by the president, or in this case John Kerry, uh, the president's minion, must be ratified by two-thirds majority of the Senate. Must be. There's no might be or can be or maybe should be or shouldn't be. It says it must be ratified by two-thirds of the members present in the Senate. The idea that they're going to pervert this means that what Obama's going to be trying to do is, see, we have Congress passed a year ago a piece of legislation that basically said there can be no funding by the federal government of an effort to register guns in this country. The funds will never be appropriated, cannot be appropriated under this law. In order to but the United Nations Small Arm Treaty calls specifically for such a law or for registration. He calls and Kerry and Obama both lied to the American people about this. Because I had read the treaty, I read the first draft, I knew what it said, and I knew what the final version said. I knew that it required gun registration in this country and around the world. And Obama said it didn't, and Kerry said it didn't, but it does. Now, in order to do the gun registration required under the treaty, Obama would 
Congress to appeal, to repeal the ban on funding of national gun registration. But then again, Obama doesn't believe he has to do that. Obama believes he can institute national gun registration on his own, on his own volition. Let me tell you what my major, one of my major concerns here is, is that if you go right now to purchase a firearm and you're doing it legally, you purchase a gun store or a licensed dealer or Walmart, you have to fill out that form. And it said, the form is sent to the FBI that checks you against the NICS list, the National Innocent Criminal Background Checklist, to find out whether or not you're eligible to buy a gun. If you're a convicted felon, you're not eligible. If you're a known drug abuser, you're not eligible. If you have been adjudicated to be mentally ill to the point of being a danger to yourself or others, you're not eligible. That's what the law used to say. According to Eric Holder, adjudication no longer means you have to be in front of a judge or you have to have a hearing of any kind. Anybody who works for the federal government, anybody who works for the state of New York, the state of California, or the state of Maryland can adjudicate you declare you to be mentally ill to the point of being yourself or others without any psychiatric evaluation, without any history, it doesn't matter. But say you don't run across that problem, approved for a firearm, and you purchase that firearm. Of course, you have to put on the form the type of firearm or everything you're going to buy, and you're approved for that firearm. Well, supposedly, the dealer and the FBI are required by law to destroy all the paperwork within 48 hours and not to keep a record of your application or what you bought. That's supposedly, that's the law. But we live in a, under a president of the United States, an attorney general, and the new one he's appointing is not going to be any better, who are totally lawless. So they're keeping a list, folks. They're keeping, keeping a list, and Obama's going to turn that list over to the United Nations. That's what just one of the things we're looking at. And again, you'll read the article that I posted. Uh, it's, it was posted earlier this month. And then I posted one since then about the uh, Veterans Administration and what they're doing to veterans, what we're trying to do about it. You can access that article. Like I said, my website is www.michaelconnelly.com. .jigsy.com. You can also go and look at the United States Justice Foundation website, usjf.net, and you can see some of the articles I've written on there. You can also go to the About Michael Connolly Executive Director section, and you can find a direct link to my website, to my blog. So you can go to my blog and take a look at what I'm talking about here. And you can also, by the way, while you're there, uh, find out how to order copies of my books. Uh, my book, The Mortarman, about my dad's unit during World War II, continues to be a bestseller uh, on Amazon. Uh, it's an e-book and is a bestseller. You know, uh, one of the top e-books on Amazon. You almost order his paperback. My novel, Amigalia, Story of America, uh, is, is uh, also it's a patriotic book, and it's being widely purchased. And then I've got other books on there. Uh, that you might find of interest. Plus, I've got my books out on the Constitution. Our Constitution, same name as this show, where I take each article, each amendment, each section of the Constitution, I post them as originally written, and I put in 
comments about what they really mean. We've sold out virtually three printings of that, that booklet. We have them being ordered by schools for their students. We've had civic groups order them to hand out to students. We've got a lot of people just ordering them to keep them in their, their, their pocketbooks or their, their pockets. It's a pocket-sized booklet. And, you know, it, it's $6 for a copy and substantial discounts for large numbers. So take a look at all that, and I will look forward to talking to you again next week. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.